verse number 1, Mark the 6th chapter, verse number 1, I had uh, every intentions of, of going on to some other verses this morning, but I really felt the Holy Spirit prompting me to come back and start here again. So there are some things that we're going to uh, look a little closer at, a little deeper into this morning. I believe the Holy Spirit's got some good things to say to us. So Mark chapter 6, verse 1. Um, just to remind you, God has to be able to communicate with you to help you. He has to be able to communicate with you to help you. And um, God's ability to com- communicate with you to help you and His ability to communicate with you depends upon the attitude of your heart towards Him. Depends upon the attitude of your tar- heart towards Him. It's not a coincidence that John the Baptist... Jesus, the 12 apostles, and the first 70 missionaries all preached from the same set of notes. And that message was simply this, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Prior to Jesus coming to this earth, the kingdom of of God, the kingdom of heaven, was three heavens away. It was very difficult to access and very difficult to receive answers and help from. But Jesus changed all of that. Now the kingdom of heaven is as close as your outstretched hand. Now the word repent means more than stop sinning. It's a Greek compound word, metanous. Meta means a change of condition. Nous means mind. So when Jesus, John the Baptist, the apostles, and then the first 70 missionaries all preached repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, what they were literally saying to the people is you can't keep thinking the way you've always thought about these things because they've changed. And what Jesus was concerned about is that the attitude of people's hearts would never change, and because of that, they would completely miss out on what He came to this earth to do for them. So John preached this, Jesus preached this, the the disciples preached this, the first 70 missionaries preached this. If you're looking left and God is working and speaking right, you're going to miss what it is that he's saying and doing and therefore miss the benefit. And listen, there's a reason why we don't like to miss out on good things. It's because your Heavenly Father doesn't want you to miss out on good things. Now, a lot of times we talk about the attitude of our heart. You know, we, we, it, it just becomes this whole... Um, you know, wagging the finger, have a better attitude, you got a bad attitude, kind of chastising or whatever. Uh, A bad attitude is a bad attitude, and we all know one when we see one, okay? But a bad attitude and a wrong attitude are not necessarily the same thing. Um, You can have, uh, you know, an acceptable attitude to other people, but it still be wrong as it relates to what God's trying to do in your life. Um, attitude is a terminology used in um, seamanship, sailing. It's also a term used in aviation. The attitude of the sails of a sailboat. You see, the wind is the wind is the wind. A good sailor knows how to set the attitude of the sail in relationship to the wind to get the boat to go in the direction that he or she wants it to go in. The attitude of an airplane as it moves through the, the, the air 
is referring to the position and direction of that attitude, uh, of that airplane rather, in relationship to a fixed object on the ground. So when we talk about our attitude, we're talking about, you know, how we're looking at things, the perspective that we have on things in relationship to what God's trying to say to us and what God's trying to do in our lives. So he can only help you if he can communicate with you, and he can only communicate with you if, you're, if the attitude of your heart is right. Wrong attitude, as it relates to what God's trying to say to you and do in your life, means you missing out and, and, and literally his hands being tied as far as, as his ability to help you. Now, the right attitude towards, towards God, to hear from God and receive from God, is one of honor for God. It's, it's one of respect Respect and honor go hand in hand, but, but honor is more than respect. Honor is when the respect you have for him in your heart translates to outward action. Uh, honor the Lord with the substance of your increase. Honor involves actually doing something. Um, you, your presence in this room to worship God and to hear from him and his word today is, is, is honor displayed for him. Are you seeing this? Okay. Now... Let's go to Mark chapter 6 and verse number 1. It says, Then he went out from there and came to his own country, and his disciples followed him. And when the Sabbath had come, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many hearing him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things, and what wisdom is this which is given to him that such mighty works are performed by his hands? Now, if they'd have just stopped right there, okay? If that, if that had been the thoughts of their heart, the attitude of their heart, the confession of their mouths, but there was this other voice. There were these other thoughts. There were these other opinions sitting here kind of kind of jawing at them, right? They, they were trying to reconcile what they were hearing and what they were seeing from this Jesus who grew up with them and, 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 and was raised among them, right? What, what they were experiencing, literally experiencing in the synagogue that day, with the opinions and judgments that they already had of him and held of him in their hearts. And so initially they're like, Shazam, I mean, this, this is amazing. Hometown boy done made good, right? I mean, this, you know, what, what's going on here? But now notice what, what is revealed in verse number three. Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, and brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon, and are not his sisters here with us, so they were offended at him. Offended at him. Guess what? This, this, this is not the right attitude to hear and receive from God. They were offended at him. They were offended. Who's him here? They were offended at Jesus. Now, we're going if to, you, if you listen carefully here, you'll kind of see where their offense uh, was rooted. Verse 4, But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor, except in his own country, among his own relatives, and in his own house. Now, I know that you probably got it already, but I want to make sure you understand what he's saying here. When he says he's not without honor except, that's kind of an, uh, an, an awkward way of, of saying that. I want to make sure you understand what Jesus is saying. He's saying, everywhere I go, I receive honor, but now I've come home among my own people, among my own family, and in my own house, Right? This is the one exception. This is the one place where I am not being honored. I am not being given honor in the same way that I was given honor in, in other places where I went to that I began with those people as a stranger. 
What's the difference here? I want you to see this now. What's the difference here? When it's a stranger, they're forming their opinions of Jesus on the fly, so to speak. It's what they think about him is developing as they're listening to him. Their opinions of him, their judgments of him are developing, right, as they're listening to what he has to say and as they're watching and witnessing what it is that he can do. But when he comes home, there's already long-held opinions. There's already judgments that have been forged within these men and women. You you see this in in these uh, statements, and I want to kind of, again, I said we're going to look a little closer this morning, a little deeper this morning. Is Is it okay if we do a little teaching, right? He says, is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary? No mention of Joseph. Now, in our culture, in our day, you know, I mean, that's, you know, that's, that's David's boy, that's Brenda's boy, whatever, you know. But in their, in their day, the, the father's name was, all, it was always, and, and should have been in this case, is this not Joseph's son? Okay. But not only did they not mention Joseph, they said, this is Mary's boy. We don't know who his daddy is. Because we remember her getting pregnant before she got married. See, Jesus is exposing long-held beliefs and opinions about him. And what we're seeing is that for years, these people had not even thought of him as an equal. They thought of themselves as being better than him and as him being less than them. So what it amounts to then is that there is dishonor for Jesus in their hearts long before he ever turned 30, was you know, baptized in water, baptized in the Holy Spirit, went around Galilee preaching and, and healing the sick and doing all the miracles that he had done. And now uh, homeboy has come home, right? And when he stands up in the synagogue and does what he has done other places... The people are in awe of it initially, but then they revert back to, well, hold on a second now. This is the carpenter here we're talking about. This is Mary's son. The fact, again, this was a shameful thing that they didn't call him Joseph's son. Have you, if you even notice it in the scriptures um, where they list the genealogies, they list Joseph in there, even though we know Joseph was not his biological father. Again, this, this was a show of respect. And clearly, these people... So, Pastor Mark, you're reading, you're reading too much into that. I don't think we're reading enough into it, right? Is this not the carpenter? Is the son of Mary? So Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own country among his own relatives and in his own house. Now, he could do no mighty work there. doesn't say he wouldn't. It said he couldn't. It's one of the most important words in this entire passage. Because what did their attitude towards him, what did their lack of honor towards him, what did it do? It prevented him from being able to help them. It prevented him from being able to do anything for them. And as we established last week, 
If Jesus ever wanted to help anybody and do anything for anybody, it would have been the people in his own hometown. Anybody ever been through Brantley, Alabama? I got the same, I got the right bunch in here. Can y'all hear me? I, is this microphone? Brantley, Alabama, three of us been through Brantley, Alabama. Let me tell you how you know you've been through Brantley, Alabama, because they got a really big sign when you go into Brantley, Alabama that says, Home of Chuck Person. And they list all of his accolades. Anybody know who Chuck Person is? Chuck Person's kind of overshadowed somewhat by Charles Barkley. He and Charles Barkley were on the same fantastic Auburn basketball team together. But Chuck Person was an NBA All-Star. I think he led the league as a rookie in scoring. It was all kinds of things. He became a coach in the NBA, right? And he was from Brantley, Alabama. These folks were proud of Chuck Person. Somebody tell me where Elvis Presley was from. Tupelo, right? Can you go to Tupelo without seeing Elvis' name somewhere? Can you go to Memphis? You know, Memphis, a lot of people say Memphis when you say, where's Elvis from, right? And obviously he lived there, but see, Memphis even claims him. The most important human being in human history came from Nazareth, and these people are ashamed of him. I mean, they ought to have signs at every street corner. Nazareth, home of the Son of God. Home of Jesus, the Messiah and Savior of the world. But instead, they're like, who does he think he is coming up in here acting like some big shot? We know you, Jesus. You see the attitude. You see the lack of honor. Reckon Chuck Person is honored every time he goes home to Brantley and he sees that big old sign and that picture of himself. Little old small town in Brantley, Alabama, right? Reckon he thinks, you know what, it's, you know, home, this is home. These people here love me. These people here are proud of me. These people here thought enough of me to tell everybody that ever comes through their little town on the way to the beach that, that, I can, that I'm from here. <laughs> Brantley, Alabama is showing more honor to Chuck Person than Nazareth showed to Jesus Christ. What in the world's wrong with this, right? The initial response, now I want to, it's funny because Matt just, Matt made the point for me, okay? A while ago he was talking about before he was walking out the door that he heard a, a minister, I guess on television or, or I don't know what he's listening to, where, where this minister said something about, um, wonder what Adam was like in the cool of the evening and then he said, Adam's going to ask you one day what was it like. And anybody use, remember the word that Matt used? What did that statement do to him? Anybody remember? Gold star if you can remember what he said. He said it struck him. Did you hear him say that? He said it struck me. This word, um, let's go, let's see, where are we? Let's go back up to verse number two. And when the Sabbath had come, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many hearing him were astonished. Do you see that word right there, astonished? That word is um, a Greek word that it's expresso, not expresso, uh, Siri kept trying to autocorrect me, okay? Not expresso like the coffee, expresso, E-X-P-L-E-S-S-O. And it literally means to strike 
and force out by a blow, but found only in the sense of knocking one out of his senses or self-possession. Let me, let, me kinda, let me help you connect with this, right? Could have knocked me over with a feather. Anybody, anybody ever said that, right? You could have knocked me over with a feather. What, why, why would somebody say you could have knocked me over with a feather? That they were just given some kind of good news, bad news, some kind of words just been spoken to them that, that so overwhelmed them that a feather could have knocked them over. I mean, it just stunned them. When I heard the news, it was like she slapped me in the face. They were literally struck by what Jesus said. They were literally breathless. They were shocked. Again, you say, you're reading too much into this, Pastor Mark. Go to the original language when it says they were astonished. To be honest with you, I, I I, I think this is the part of this account that I have either went, read through too quickly or, or looked at from a wrong perspective. In other words, I've looked at this in the past as, where is this guy getting these things from? But that's not how this initially hit them. How this initially hit them was it literally left them breathless. It, to experience him... In the synagogue that day, see, let me tell you what this does, a few things this does. This confirms to you and me, right, that Jesus, for the most part, lived a a normal childhood. The Bible says that he grew and waxed strong, uh, both physically, uh, and, and then also he matured intellectually, um, we, we sometimes have the wrong understanding that the Bible gives us about Jesus on this earth as a man. He emptied himself of everything. Philippians 2, he emptied himself of everything that made him God. He set aside the glory that he possessed as the uncreated eternal son of God. He set that down and he came to this earth as a man and he operated on, this, on the earth as a man with glory that he was given by his father. We've been talking about this on Wednesday night. Jesus, first of all, we see in John 2 that the miracles that Jesus performed, were, were, it was the inward reality of the glory that was in him being, uh, being, uh, becoming an outward expression of his life. When he turned the water into wine, his first miracle on earth as a man, the Bible says that he manifested forth the glory that was in him. And then we see all these other miracles that were, again, a manifestation of the glory that was in him. In John chapter 17, we see the glory that was in him was not the glory that belonged to the uncreated eternal Son of God. It was glory that his Father had given him as a human being. Amen. These people, when they saw him, they weren't like, well, there's Jesus being Jesus. We've been, we've been astonished at him his whole life and... Shouldn't surprise anybody here. We all saw this coming. No, nobody saw this coming. Now, there's another, there's another piece of evidence here. See, when Jesus was on this earth as a man, he was not all-knowing. He was not all-powerful. 
This makes people nervous. Listen to me, please. He was not all-powerful. He said, I can't do anything without my Father. I don't do anything and can't do anything unless my Father tells me to do it and shows me to do it. If he was all-knowing, he would have known the fig tree didn't have figs on it. But he looked at that fig tree. He says, man, I know it's not the season for figs, but that fig tree looks like it's got some on it early. And he went and looked and was disappointed because there were no fig trees on it. The people were not the only ones marveling or astonished this day. Jesus marveled. Jesus was taken aback. Jesus was astonished at their unbelief. Do you see that? In um, praise the name of God. verse 6, let me, let me swap back over. Verse number 6. And he could do, verse 5, and he could do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. Then he went about the villages in a circuit teaching. A couple of things here, and then we'll go back to some of the minor, more main points that I'm wanting to feel like we've got to get across today. Okay, you still with me? You're looking like it's 2 o'clock. It's 11.30. We're good. <laughs> Amen? Oh, sweet Jesus. Let me just go ahead and tell you, okay? Honor is important. Honor is important. It's very easy to see and it's very easy to preach that Jesus could not do anything among these people because of their unbelief. And I've preached that sermon, and if you've preached that sermon, you're, you're preaching correctly. But if you look a little deeper into it, there was an underlying cause for their unbelief. Jesus could not do anything among them because of their unbelief, and their unbelief was directly connected to their lack of honor. I'll get to that here in just a minute. Let's, let's talk about this. So he could do no mighty work there except he laid his hands on a few sick people and heal them. Let me tell you the takeaway from this right here. Are you ready? There's always exceptions, and you and I might as well be one. Right? There are always exceptions. There's always a Joshua and a Caleb. For a whole generation has rejected God's plan for their life, but not Joshua and Caleb. So we see all these people dying in the wilderness, but Joshua and Caleb didn't die in the wilderness. A thousand may fall on one side, ten thousand on another side, it will not come near me. Come on now, so I, I just double dog dare you. Look at your neighbor and say, I'm the exception. I'm the exception to this. Amen? I'm the exception. See, we think if it's happening everywhere, it's got to happen to us. No, no, no. Jesus said that there are things that must take place on this planet, rough things, bad things, negative things that must take place on this planet before the end comes. Amen? But just because they must take place on this planet does not mean they must take place in your home. Under your roof. Amen. Jesse Duplantis was talking about, you know, he lives in New Orleans or outside of New Orleans. And he's like, you know, Hurricane Alley. And all these years he's spoken to so many hurricanes. But he said that here of late the Lord has told him, he said, I need you to speak to the hurricane, but focus your efforts on your property, Right? Now, I don't, I'm not telling you hurricanes are the hand of God or anything like that. But God is the glue that holds creation together, according to the Word of God. What happens to something if you push the glue out of it? If, if we could somehow magically extract all the glue and all the fasteners from this wooden pulpit this morning, what would happen? It would just fall apart. 
And because we're pushing mankind, not, not me and you, but mankind is pushing God further and further out of, of his daily affairs, this world is coming unhinged. But you can be the exception. So all that he wanted to do there, he was not able to do, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. Can I tell you what that means to me? There were a small group of people that honored him. Everybody else is like, that's Mary's boy. We, we, we're not even sure who his daddy was. And physician, go heal yourself. You're coming up in here to help us. You, you're the one that needs the help, right? And a lot of people have that attitude. But because he was able to heal some people, that tells me not everybody had that attitude. Just because everybody else is thinking less and less of God and, and making uh, coming to church and putting God first in their lives and raising their kids in church, just because everybody else is, is backing off on that, that doesn't mean you have to. You can still honor Him. Now, <clears throat> upon being struck, these were the comments that these people made. Two things. They said, where did this man get these things? And what wisdom is this which is given to him that such mighty works are performed by his hands? Okay? I want to point something out to you, and it's on the screen, all right? It's obviously in the Bible in front of you. Where the first statement ends with a question mark, they're asking the question, where did this man get these things? The next statement ends not with a question, but an exclamation point. And I think the difference there is, is what I've been overlooking. In stricken astonishment, they're saying, my, what wisdom he has. They're not like, what wisdom is this? They're not, it's, you understand, you learned in English, you know, you, your voice inflection is different when you're you know, asking a question or making a statement. These people ask a question, where did this man get these things? But then they're saying, wisdom my, what wisdom is this which is given to him that such mighty works are performed by his hands? They're not questioning it. They're stating it. They're exclaiming it. They're confessing it. They recognize the wisdom producing the results was unlike anything they had ever heard of or seen before. It was unusual. It was, it was uncommon. I may be stretching this a little bit, but perhaps even otherworldly. But notice what they're recognizing. They're recognizing that Jesus had been given something that he could not have possessed or received apart from it being given to him. He was given something, right? Now, that's accurate. If you're wondering, that's true. Jesus said so many different times, so many different ways, that my doctrine is not my own. You know, they would just be, other people would just like, you know, try to be puffing him up and talking about, you know, 
all that he knew and no one's ever spoke like you and no one's ever. And Jesus is like, look, this is, this is not my doctrine. This is my father's doctrine. Pastors today are tempted to say things like, well, you know, I've been burning the midnight oil. I've been studying for hours. I've been fasting for days. All this hard, you know, look at what I, no, no, see, it's given to them. This is not my doctrine. Heaven help you and me the day I stand in this pulpit and give you my doctrine. You didn't come here for my doctrine. I'm not here to give you my doctrine. Are you hearing me? I'm here to tell you what the Spirit of the Lord is saying to us. I'm not, listen, I'm not bragging when I say this. I probably just on this iPad alone, I've probably got 10,000 sermons. I don't show up here on a Sunday morning it's like, well, which, you know, man, there's folks, again, they can't remember what I said three weeks ago, so I can just go ahead and preach something I said, you know, six months ago, and then just be fine, just phone this one in. This. No. No, I woke up this morning with an entirely different plan. I'm not here for my plan. The people recognized that what Jesus was saying was unlike anything they had ever heard or seen. Do you remember even Jesus' enemies said that about him? They would go, all these doctors of the law, highly educated men, they would go and confront Jesus and try to ask him complicated questions that no matter how he answered them, he would be embarrassed and Jesus would always answer them uh, you know, wisely and, cor- and, and correctly and in a way that made them look foolish instead of him. And the higher-ups were like, look, guys, how hard can it be? This guy's from a carpenter from Nazareth. Why can't you find something? And they're like, listen, you don't understand. You've never heard him speak. No one's ever spoken like this man speaks. And they, and they were so um, passionate about saying that that, that that there would be times that their higher-ups would go, so what, are you believing in him now? And some of them were kind of stepping back going like, well, <laughs> you know. I don't know. It's, it's, it's astonishing. In other words, how about, how about this? Uh, Jesus asked his disciples after a whole bunch of people left him in John 6. He said, are you leaving me too? And Peter said, where would we go? You have the words of life. One translation reads this way. Where would we go, Jesus? When you speak, something comes alive inside of me. In other words... Every time he would open his mouth and speak, something would strike them. It was striking. It would leave them breathless. It was profound. It was otherworldly. And initially, in Jesus' hometown, when the people went in the synagogue that day, it's like, well, let's just, let's just see what he's got. Let's just see what this is all about. I hear people talking all over Galilee about what a, an amazing man he is. To be honest with you, I just I don't see it. I've never seen it in Jesus. But, but hey, you know, I could be wrong. Let's just, you know, so they went in with this kind of come and see um, mentality about what Jesus is going to say and do. And after he was speaking for about three seconds... It was like somebody had punched them in the stomach. It knocked the wind out of them. They were sitting there with their mouths aghast. I mean, it's like, what in the world? Where did he get this from? Now, wisdom, remember the one word I want you to remember when you hear the word wisdom? Anybody? Oh, praise God. Results. I heard somebody say it. Results. There's there's a lot of difference between Uh, knowledge, understanding, and and wisdom. 
but when it comes to wisdom, the wisdom level of learning, okay, and knowing, wisdom is your ability to take what you know and understand and apply it in a practical way to get a different result in your life. Wisdom is about results. And so when, when they're like, and what wisdom is this which is given to him? Notice they recognize that this was something he was given, something that he, he received. Now, these are Jewish people. I, I know maybe I'm reading something here that's not specifically stated, but if, if he's been given wisdom that has enabled him to perform mighty works by his hand, who do you think they thought gave it to him? God! Only God gives this kind of wisdom. Only God can give wisdom to a man that will show him what to do to open blinded eyes. Only God can give wisdom to a man that will show him what to do to, 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 to heal a crippled child. Only God can give wisdom to a man that will show him what to do to take a little boy's lunch and feed thousands of people. What wisdom is this which is given to him that such mighty works are performed by his hands? So they're saying these things in stricken astonishment. They recognized the wisdom producing the results was, like, was unlike anything they'd ever heard or seen. They also recognized that Jesus had been given this wisdom and its resulting abilities from an outside source. What is the point I'm trying to get you all to see this morning? I'm trying to get you to see how close these people were to receiving a miracle. How close these people were to receiving healing. How close these people were to receiving supernatural breakthroughs in their lives. They were this close. They recognized that Jesus was a man among them who had been given something by God. So profound is that when he spoke, it was literally visceral. It was, it was guttural. But then what happened? So easy to point to their unbelief is the reason for Jesus' hands being tied that day. The complete answer is unbelief due to a lack of honor. We talk about unbelief. Let's look at what these people believed. Consider what they believed. They believed Jesus had been given wisdom unlike anything they had ever heard or seen. They also believed the wisdom he had been given enabled him to perform mighty works. This realization and belief literally was so profound it knocked the wind out of them. But then came these long-held opinions, right? Then came these other thoughts. Wait a second. That's, that's Mary's son. That's the carpenter. We know his family. We know his family. Now, I may be, listen to me. I, you, I've told you before and I'll tell you again. I, I like to try to, you know, God gave us an imagination for a reason and the Holy Spirit will come alongside your imagination. I, I, like, to, I like to just try to imagine the looks on people's faces, the colors of clothing that they war that day what was really behind some of these things and to me it's it's and if you've got thoughts on this you, you can certainly bring them to me but i mean why do they have to name all of his brothers and then his sisters well i don't, I don't know about you but you know me and my brother did some things <laughs> you know what i'm saying amen I mean, you know, we, we lived a pretty good life. You know, you live in the house of a Marine. You, amen, you, you at United States Marine, you, you toe the line, right? But, you know, I mean, 
It'd be something like, I, I won't, I'll, I'll keep it, all right, you know. My kid was in band the day he threw the fingernail polish across the room. You, you, you follow what I'm saying? In other words, by naming, I'm not, listen, kids will be kids. has gotten a lot of kids in prison, okay? I'm not, I'm not, you, we got to be parents. Don't misunderstand me. But there's not a person in this room hadn't done a few things in their foolish youth years, right? That why are they, why are they naming every one of these boys? I remember the night. I remember the night Joseph graduated high school and they rolled my yard. See. If you're looking for reasons to give and show honor, it's like, let me, let, me, let me take it out of the context of honor for a minute. If you're looking for something to complain about, you can always find it. But if you'll flip that script, and if you'll look for something to be thankful for, you can always find that as well. See, Jesus just presented himself in such a way that these folks have got to make a decision and they got to make one fast. Are they fixing to change their long-held opinions of him? Are they fixing to uh, second-guess, you know, some of the um, judgment and condescension that they have always held in their hearts, whether it was spoken or not, against him? Are, 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 they, are they going to say, wow, man, this... Could it be that a prophet was raised among us and we didn't know it? I mean, you see, that's going to require humility on their part. That's going to require repentance, a different way of looking at things, a, a new condition of mind. So in that moment, these voices, right, they're either going to go the way of honor or they're going to go the way of dishonor. And they're going to have to make a case for either one. So now they're saying, look, we don't just know him, we know his whole family. And, and he's going to come up in here acting like some big shot. We, we know you, Jesus. We don't just know you, we know your brothers. And we know your sisters. Do you see? And so they're coming up with every little inconsistency that they could ever come up with. I'll never forget my mama received a word from the Lord for me and my brother one time when we were younger teenagers. Because, <laughs> anyway, it went something like this. She didn't use this word, but anybody know cut a fool? You know what I'm saying? You know, just class clown, whatever. Get people laugh, do silly things, make people laugh, whatever. My mama says, she says, Y'all need to think long and hard about that because the Lord showed me that one day he's going to have you ministering to these people that you're showing out for now, right? Wow. Remember that? We kind of laughed it off, but I think both of us took it a lot more seriously than we ever gave you credit for us taking it seriously, Mom. 
making a case against him so they can just write him off. Remember what he said in Matthew 13? These people won't come to me and let me heal them? Stand with me this morning, praise God. These people won't come to me and let me heal them? Here is the word for us this morning. Are you ready? Do not let familiarity undermine honor. I I kept looking for other words. I really felt like the Lord spoke that to me exactly that way. And I kept looking for other words maybe to make it more sense of it. And the Lord said, no, just say it just like that. Do not let familiarity undermine honor. What does that mean? I think I shared this with you a while back. Um, a classmate of mine, we had a, an English teacher that we had. It was a, uh, a certain class that we, we had her for like five years. And so we'd gotten very, very close to her English teacher. And of course, for us, she was, was, she got married, so it went from Miss Lindsay to Miss Johnson, but anyway. But I had a classmate who called her by her first name, Kay. Remember one day we were talking, she's Kay this and Kay that, and Kay, I'm like, who is Kay? She goes, oh, you know, Miss Lindsay. And I'm like, why are you calling, you know, I'm sitting here thinking, why are you calling her Kay, right? Well, obviously, they had gotten very, you know, you get close to somebody, and she felt like that was, what was happening here? Well, she never did it publicly, but the point I'm trying to show you is, if you're not careful, you'll get so close to somebody that you consider them an equal when you should be, familiarity will undermine honor. See, that, that's why a prophet is not without honor except among his own people, because of familiarity. It's like, son of God, no. He made the end table sitting beside my chair in my living room. Messiah, are you kidding me? I changed his diapers. See, familiarity undermines honor. Is G, are we friends of God? Is, is Jesus our friend? Yes, all of that. But see... do not let familiarity with him undermine your honor for him. Anybody remember Agape and Philo? (laughs) Where we let the fond affectionate feelings deceive us into thinking that respect is no longer necessary. Father, thank you for this time together this morning. Thank you for what you're doing in our lives and in our families. Lord, for the things that you're showing us and teaching us. Father, I thank you that you desire to help us more than we desire your help. And for that matter, Father, you desire to help us more than we even want or need your help. Lord, you, you are you're way ahead of us. You've already prepared things for us that we need. You answer us before we even ask. Lord, you, man, so much, Lord. Father, it's um, so easy to talk about our faith and 
how faith receives all that grace has already given. And certainly all that's true, Lord, but active, vital faith rests upon a foundation of honor. If there's no honor, then how can we believe? Amen. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, this kind of popped up in my heart a couple of times this morning. Heads bowed and eyes closed. Let me tell you a really quick account of the gospel. Jesus was born of a virgin. He lived a sinless life. He didn't do that for himself. He did it for you and me. No fault of his own. He was falsely accused and punished and executed. And the Bible says that while he hung on that cross... Father God allowed him to become your sin and my sin. So he paid the price and the punishment, the penalty for your sin, for my sin. I like to say it this way. Father God had to find someone who was more undeserving of punishment than all of us combined were deserving of it. And that was only one person that filled that position, and that would have been Jesus. And he did it willingly for you and for me. The Bible says when he died, we died with him. When he was buried, we were buried with him. And then when he was raised up, we were raised up together with him to newness of life. And that we're now seated together with him in the heavenly places. He did all of that for you. He did all that as you. And to receive salvation is to simply receive for yourself what Jesus has already done as your substitute. If you're here this morning, you say, Pastor Mark, I have never been born again. I've never received salvation, but today's my day. Is there anybody? Just felt really led of the Lord to do that. Anybody? Never been born again? Amen. All right, if you're a little intimidated by buy this and, and maybe you have some more questions about it um, come see me afterwards and we'll, we'll talk about that Amen. Father as we uh, are dismissed this morning I thank you that we go in your name Father you promised to never leave us nor forsake us and so we know that, that you go with us and we're not going to ignorantly ask you to do it because you've already promised to do it but Lord we acknowledge this morning your presence in us around us among us and upon us Father, as we leave this building, may we be keenly aware of the light that you have made us, and may we let our light so shine before others this week that they see our good works and give glory to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for being here this morning. Um, you be blessed. You have a blessed week. Um, I'll see some of you in the morning. I'll see some of you Wednesday. If you can't come to discipleship class, pray for us, especially as we get started. Different folks on the fence about coming. Good things.